and welcome to the very, well, it's actually not the very first, it's the second episode of our new Warhammer 40k book club video cast. Last month, we talked about uh, Dark Imperium by Guy Haley. This month, we are talking about The Magos by Dan Abnett. <laughs> so we show off our matching copies here. If you have not yet read the book, uh, be sure to bookmark this podcast or this video cast, however you're consuming it, and come back and listen along with us after you have, because we will be going in depth to talk about the book and lots of spoilers. This is your spoiler alert. And as always, as we go through our questions, if you have any thoughts that you want to throw out to us, we welcome them in comments on YouTube, on Twitter, and I think those are probably the quickest and easiest ways to reach us. We're always wanting to talk about our books. So the very first question. Well, what I was we about to break in, though, is that if so if you haven't read the Magos, if you've never read the Eisenhorn, you, have, yes. you, you need to at least read Eisenhorn first. Yes, um, I think we have that on our website for our um, our Warhammer 40k beginners guide there. If if you're lucky, you can get an omnibus that has the three books in it, which is Xenos, Malleus and Hereticus. I think are the three. Yeah, the three um, right orders. Mm -hmm. And right now, the Black Library is actually selling them, I think, separately, each of the books separately. But you can track down in some places the omnibus. And I really recommend getting the omnibus because there's a couple short stories in there. Um, actually, I think both of them are repeated in this They are. Book, mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, we'll talk about that here in a second. But there's a lot of information in this book. Um, the other thing I would say is that you should probably be a little passingly familiar with Gideon Ravener and beyond what was presented to you in the um, Eisenhorn books. So you don't need to have read the full Ravener omnibus, I don't think. Well, I mean, I just read the first one. Uh, right. So you at least knew who some of the characters were. So I, like with I Carl did. Thodius, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's somewhat important because there are there are a few stories in here that kind of assume you're at least passingly familiar with Ravner. Which, yeah. <laughs> so having said all of that background information, this is like this isn't even you can't even call this a sequel. This is like probably the eighth or ninth book. And actually, the good news is I will say this, if you haven't read Pariah or any of the additional post Eisenhorn trilogy books. You don't really need to be familiar with those. They're not. No, well, it actually makes it very clear that this is before Pariah. Yes. So if you're wondering like, oh my God, how many books do I have to read? The answer is four. So yeah. this is kind of a different book in so much as it's kind of similar to Dark Imperium where we said that that wasn't really a beginner's book. This one, you actually have to be more than passingly familiar with a specific series. Um, so having said that, let's dive in. What did you think of the book? Did you like it? I really did. I, I really, really did. Uh, there was some parts, especially like the first short story, because the Magos is the Magos is a novel, mm -hmm. but it's <laughs> it's like the last fourth of the book. Three fourths right. of the book are all short stories, mm -hmm. and. Um, so I kind of like that in a way because then I was like reading just one short story a night. So to give you an idea, this right here is the Magos and okay, so maybe closer to one third, two thirds. Yeah, um, about that I would say. Yeah, that's what I was trying to flip through. But there was a lot of short, and there was like this first short story in the very beginning. I was like, I don't understand how this 
pertains to anything. And then of course it, in the Magos, it's like, oh no, that's actually very, very important to this whole thing. And I think all of the short stories have that where you may be like, okay, that's a nice little story, but I don't understand how, what this has to do with anything. And it all kind of ties, it all ties in because pretty much anything that Gregor Eisenhorn does and then anything has been written about him is very important for what he's doing next or now mm-hmm. yeah i compared it to um when i was reading it with all the short stories if you've ever if you've ever watched a tv series when you get to the second season there's always like a five minute previously on justified and then they like cover all of the highlights from the previous season that you have to know about to go into this season that's really what this felt like the first two thirds of the book feel like a previously in eisenhorn's life because as you said, so the short stories, you can't even skip it. Cause my first thought was, as I was going through is I was like, well, this is all well and good, but couldn't we have just published these separately since some of these I've even read before, but no, they're all, if it's not something that's directly referenced later, like that first story is mm-hmm. directly, if you hadn't read that, you would be so confused when you got to the Magos, but a lot of it's also just color like, Hey, by the way, you should remember this particular character trait about Gregor Eisenhorn. Mm-hmm. It's very important to know. Um, like the Master Amos story. Uh, Amos? Yeah, I always uh, said Amos. I'm probably oh, wrong, though. No, no. Amos, Amos, his savant, and then Amos, the guy who reports. Oh, oh, Amos. Amos. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Amos, yeah. 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 Master Amos, that story, while not necessarily refer, I mean, it's semi referenced later in the Magos, but. It's very much a, this is who this person is. And again, at first I was kind of like, oh, interesting. But then it is it is important because it gives you kind of some color and some memory, especially for me, because I hadn't read, I, mean, I read the Eisenhorn Omnibus 12 years ago. So for me, it was kind of going through this again and we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute. It reopened some old wounds and reminded me of some opinions that I had. And I was like, oh, right. I forgot about all of this. And the Ravner series, because I didn't love the Ravner series, when I got to the end of it, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. So reading through was, oh, right. I forgot about all of this. Mm -hmm. And so it was important. So having said that, what was your favorite part? Which there's going to be parts, plural, because with all these short stories. One thing, okay, so I loved everything that had to do with Valentin Drusher. Oh, his character was great. But my favorite short story was The Strange Demise of uh, Titus Endor. Endor. Is that? Oh, yeah, that's it. The Strange Demise of Titus Endor. Mm -hmm. That. That story, I had read that one previously, but it had been it had been a while. And I kind of, I think I read it in a collection or I read it passingly because as I was reading it, I was a few pages in before I was like, oh, right, this story. And I read the whole thing again, even though I'd already read it because it's, it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Poor Titus. I, it might be my favorite story in here as well because if you remember, if you've read the second book, which I think Malleus was the mm-hmm. second book, there's yes. Titus and Eisenhorn clearly had this history and then their history goes bad. And 
it was just a very, very sad tale about this guy who not only was he losing his mind, he's clearly not very self-aware. Right. And, you know, the, the most of the short story, I was like, uh, I was like, well, I totally understand where this guy is coming from. Like, what's this going on? But it's when his interrogator shows up and was like, stop calling me. You can't keep calling me. He's like, where have you been? I've been waiting for you for 14 days. Interrogator's like, inquisitor, inquisitor. He's like, where's your rosette? It's mistaken. And I was like, oh, my God. Well, so it explains like, so much, right? Because right. there were a couple scenes where he showed his rosette and people were like, okay. Right. It was because there was no rosette. Exactly. The one guy, he, he showed it to that one guy who was clearly, well, maybe not the sharp, brightest bulb in the box who, you know, oh, I'm an inquisitor. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Right. Because not many people would claim to be an inquisitor who weren't. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, that, yes, when the Inquisitor shows up, it just, oh, it killed me. Because if you recall, right before that, Titus was talking about how lazy he was and that he was going to, he sent a letter off to the Inquisition to be like, don't ever use this guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sad. Well, and even then I thought it was just, you know, I don't know, like an Alzheimer's, you know. Right. Dementia. I was not prepared for it being the same thing that killed his mentor, mm -hmm. the cerebral worms, which just sounds like an awful way to go. Ugh, doesn't it? Because, and they talk about, they talk about when Hapshant is dying, um, how the worms were coming out of his eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's when Endor got infected because he was trying to wipe them away. And Eisenhorn was like, don't, don't, don't touch them. But so awful. Yeah, but at least... His former interrogator knew what it, when he found out, as soon as he found out what it was, he came and got him and said, we're going to take you and basically kind of placated him. He's like, well, we got to capture this guy. He's like, I'm, I'm on it. Like he didn't even try to correct him anymore. He's just like, you know, I'll take care of it. Let's just go. Yeah, it was. And I liked that. And I thought that was very interesting because typically when you're presented with there's a lot of baggage in the Inquisition and most of the relationships that we've seen between Inquisitors, it, it's not necessarily amicable. I mean, the last time we saw Titus Endor, him and Eisenhorn, he was basically trying to turn Eisenhorn in and mm -hmm. Ravener is obviously very angry at Eisenhorn for good reason. And Eisenhorn's kind of mm, on Ravener too. He's disappointed in him. So to see this relationship with this interrogator, who's just still really trying to help his former master, I liked that because it was kind of like, oh, okay, so not all Inquisitors are jerks. But at the same time, though, just, you know, two short stories later, we have Thorn Wishes Talon, where Eisenhorn, you know, reaches out to Ravener using, like, his secret language to give him a warning. Yeah. You know, and Ravener even says, it's very good to see you. And, and he's like, it's very good to see you, too. And... He's like, why'd you risk all this to come warn me? He was like, oh, please. Like, please, like, don't flatter yourself, Gideon. You do the same for me. Gregor's just so funny. Uh, and And even Ravener, he was like, you're right. I, I totally would. Because even though Ravener's done his best to try to distance himself from Gregor, since he's now seen as a radical and a, uh, the, the Ordos of Hereticus is after him, but they're not very good at it. <laughs> well... 
I would actually argue opposite in the Keeler image because they set the perfect trap for him. They did set the trap, but then they didn't seal the deal. Well, I don't think... I don't think... Because you have to remember that one of the things with Eisenhorn is that he has this theory about the cognate, but because it's so, so um, classified, not everybody knows about it and not everybody believes they're a huge threat. So I don't think they were expecting the cognate to be there. And... Which again, that's kind of yeah. their problem. That's on them. Yeah. I also don't think they expected him to have a pet demon. They should have. That's why the that's why Malleus wanted him. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. But also, I mean, that story. I love that story because I've read Horus Rising, and Euphrates Keeler is one of the main characters in that book because she's one of the Remembrancers, and she's a really fun character. Um, so I really like that story and because I love the concept of is this picture of Horus pre-heresy or post-heresy mm -hmm. and because she would have been there for both. And um, I like that concept, but mostly I, I liked it, but also hated it because Eisenhorn's a heretic. But when he calls down the demon host to run rampant through the Inquisition, I mean, he kills a lot of people that day from the Inquisition. Yeah, a lot. He does. But the reason why I'm saying that they're bad at their jobs is like, not just the Keeler image, but unless they thought that he was dead, mm -hmm. I, they doesn't, they don't seem to be tracking him now. Well, of course I haven't read Pariah, so I don't, I, I don't know. They kind of are, but you have to remember galaxy's a big place. Mm -hmm. Like there is so much space and they kind of talk about that in the Magos because that's actually one of the things that I really liked about the Magos. It was actually probably my favorite part in the Magos was that when Eisenhorn shows up and he's like, oh, I have an interrogator and I have a savant and I have all of this. I was like, wait a minute. Are you no longer her ex-heretic? Like, have they, have they, have you mended the fences? Like, this is a lot of official stuff for you to have. Mm -hmm. And then I love when Drusher, again, this cemented my love for Drusher, but I loved when he was like, you know what? I don't think this is on the level because why would they grab me? Like, I'm not world famous. And then when he starts putting all the things together, I was like, oh. Well, not only oh, that, but right. But uh, Harlan Nail even, I think it was Nail who said, or it was like one of... Uh, uh, Max's lieutenants or whatever said it's because you're the only Magos here. So it was right. So but it, so I think a combination of that mm -hmm. and things were just not adding up with him. Right. Well, remember he says he's like, wait a minute. You know you're coming here to hunt something. Why would you not get a Magos? Like mm. surely there are better ones that you would have come prepared with. Because he says even says he's like it's a pretty big gamble to just hope there'd be a really good Magos here. So right. that was one of my favorite things because I love when you're watching a movie or a show or you're reading a book and you're like, this doesn't entirely make sense. And then one of the characters is like, this doesn't make sense. And you're like, oh good, they thought about it. It's not just some, like, some plot hole that I'm just supposed to accept. Mm -hmm. So I really liked that. It also cemented my love for the Magos character. Well, let's... Uh... Okay, well, so let's talk about him, but we need to go on to the to other questions. Oh, yeah. So the next question I had said was that, and this is this kind of gets us into Drusher as well, um, because I think Drusher might be one of the more insightful characters. 
the previous Eisenhorn omnibus was written all in first person point of view, a decision that Dan Abnett later deeply regretted. <laughs> so a lot of these, there are quite a few stories that are first person, but a lot of them are told third person point of view from Drusher, like the cameras hovering behind Drusher. How does that, how does it change? Um, like, how does that, how does the story change with it when you're not getting to hear Eisenhorn's inner monologue and his own perspective? Well, it's not only that, but Thornwish's Talon was not told from uh, either, I mean, it wasn't told from Ravener or Eisenhorn's perspective because mm -hmm. Ravener and that's in those books when it's his chapters is told in first person right um but I actually I had read Thornwish's Talon before mm -hmm. um I it might have been in Eisenhorn it might have been in one of the it might have been in Ravener I don't I know I had read it before but I had a little more appreciation of it after having re read Ravener now right uh, just for who those people, I mean, I knew who Kara and Harlan Nail were, but, you know, Patience and all that. I love Patience. But especially after, because that was like right after we read Patience, her ori origin mm -hmm. story, if you will, like how she met, how she joined Ravener. And uh, I think I loved about that is that, you know, I have my own perception of Eisenhorn. And I hate to say it, but this is my perception of Eisenhorn. Because right. this is how he was in uh, Xenos. Mm -hmm. I mean, this one, he's a little younger, but he's, you know, young. He's good looking. Um, angry. He's angry. I mean, he's got some, some of the grizzled features in it. You can tell he's seen some shit. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but that's how, how I imagine him. And I always forget that bad things happen to the guy. And he's mostly augmentics and um you know he he's lost all of his hair and the augmentics are bad he's got these cables coming out the back of his head which then was making me wonder was like well that says a lot about his former fiance and hereticus that she was happy to be with him again and stay with him even though he wasn't the handsome young man that he was well remember he wasn't messed up that badly even in hereticus i, I thought mean, he was like, somewhat but even not, I, at least, again, it's been so he long. Was, he was able to walk on his own yeah. in Hereticus, but he had the cables coming out the back of his head. Because, mm -hmm. um, again, because I only had the omnibus, now seeing the covers of the new separated books, you see that in Hereticus, <laughs> how he's got no hair and you see the cables. Oh, okay. Yeah, but no, he's able to walk then, though, because mm -hmm. I think it was after the end of Hereticus, he lost the ability Right, he gets, he gets messed up. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, so Patience, when she first sees Gregor, and all she's been told is all these, you know, because Kara and Harlan talk about how much they miss him, mm -hmm. and even Ravener talks about him with big respect. So she was expecting this man to be just grandiose, larger-than-life guy, and then she sees him, and she turns to Kara, and she's like, that's Gregor Eisenhorn? He's just a broken old man. Which thing, you know, Kara like rounds on her and is like, you know, okay, I can't argue with the broken and old man part. She said, but you don't cross this guy. And then, uh, you know, you see Gregor just being like so blasé about everything and then going like, <laughs> like hey, Cherubiel, do you want to wrap this up so we can go? And and Patience like, okay, I see it now. And she kind of shrinks, right. shrinks back away from him. I was trying to, I had 
I had that exact quote. I had that exact passage because Kara's quote about it was wonderful where she basically says to him, she's like, I fear, I don't really fear a whole lot, but I'm scared of Eisenhorn. Right. And then at the end there, yeah, when Patience is like, I understand. Mm-hmm. And even Drusher, you know, when he first, how he first meets Eisenhorn is just wonderful. It's like almost right out of a sitcom. Oh, I do love it. I think there's something you wanted to tell me. Right. After what he says outside the door, it was like, well, like, yeah. whoever running this are a complete idiot. And I, I don't tell them to their face. And runs into Oh, Gregor. I found it. Okay. I found it. Where um, Kara shrugged. I don't know about the demon host. He fought it and hated it for so long. And then, I don't know. Maybe he's become the radical they say, but you're wrong about him being a broken old man. Well, he's broken and he's old, but I'd rather go up against Ravener unarmed than ever cross Gregor Eisenhorn. It'd be really bad to go up against Ravener unarmed. But... It would be. I mean, you could kick the chair. If, if he lets you get that close to him. Right. Remember, he's like the most powerful psychic. Well, one of the most powerful well, psychics. You just got to stick stick that limiter on there. Right. <laughs> and then you can kick the chair all you want. <laughs> exactly. Like, I got a blunter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but, but even Drusher, even then, he's not impressed, which oh. was so unusual, you know, because and Eisenhorn, right. he still has his rosette. The Inquisition oh. has not come for him and taken it away like they did to Titus indoor and uh, like he has this imposing power and nail is with him and uh you know still being his heavy lifter i guess and he seems all very official but he's just not very impressed with him like he has no problem telling him his point of view at all times and chastising him when he won't help people yeah because eisenhorn and i think all inquisitors do this they see the big picture Omelets and eggs. Too. Yeah, it's just like, you know, I'm sorry that everyone might die in this, but I have to stop this to save the universe, pretty much. And, um, and Drusher has no problems calling out, calling him out on it, but at the same time, he still thinks of him as a friend, even though Gregor keeps saying, I don't have friends. Right, which, so a couple things on that. One of the things that's really interesting through most of this is that typically with Gregor's, with the first person point of view stories, you really get to hear his inner monologue and kind of what he's thinking. And a lot of times it's his justifications for his behavior. And that kind of helps color it, right? Mm -hmm. Where when you don't have that, it seems even more callous. But at about, well, I don't know, almost toward the quarter, about a quarter of the end of the Magos, when after he's been injected with um that virulent virulent he he then starts going kind of on his own walkabout and he gets lost in his own mind and it was interesting to see him going and visiting the ghosts of his friends and having them basically be like you don't care about anybody you've never cared about anybody we weren't even your friends like we were your friend but you weren't our friend and Somehow, when, when you can't have, when you don't have Eisenhorn's internal monologue of him, you don't really get to see how he's reacting to any of this. Or right. see, like, the, the part that killed me is, and I think I have it marked here and easy to find, was when he comes up across, uh, he comes across Midas Ventacore. Oh, yes. Yeah. And let's see. Um, 
What kind of man uses his friends that way? Asked Loris Vibben. No one uses his friends that way, Vibben said Midas. You had a daughter too, Vibben said to him. Oh, I'm sure she'll be here at any moment, said Midas. He took a sip of his drink. Won't she, Gregor? My sweet little Medea, it can't be much longer before she joins the party too. And you just, and Gregor, Gregor really has no reaction to any of this, which is so Gregor in some ways. But it's so interesting to hear all this vitriol coming at him from all of his friends. But it's all said very matter-of-factly. It's like, this is just how you are. This is who you are. And I don't, I think it made it seem, it made him seem, seem even colder because we have no idea how he was reacting to any of this. Right. Well, it doesn't help that he's lost all, you know, nerve feelings in his face. So he doesn't have expressions. <laughs> Until the end of the book. Well, yes, we'll get to the end of the book. That could, okay, you know what? That part right there probably creeped me out the most out of anything in this entire book. And that includes uh, the first short story, Pestilence. Right. Oh, God. That story. Yeah. But, again, that nurgle's so hot right now. But um, when they, yeah, when they say the word and everyone go, that story had one of the creepiest things in here. And I want to point that out really quickly, just because we mentioned it. Um, when the guy who has all the lights on or all the dark, it's all dark because he's terrified of the light. And then you discover later that he's been blind for mm -hmm. like 20 years, but the memory of the light still scares him. I was like, that's, that's some dark Warhammer stuff right there for mm -hmm. you. But the only person to whom Eisenhorn really has a reaction is Elizabeth. Right. When she starts talking to him, that's the only time that we see a crack in his facade, which I think is, I think is probably very telling of his character. But again, without that inner monologue, it's just, it adds this layer of co even colder than Gregor Eisenhorn already was. Mm -hmm. Right, because I mean, he may have been thinking a million things at that time. Right. He may have been having his own reactions inside because, mm -hmm. you know, he's very, he's been, he's very big on being stoic and it's not just because yes. of, he's lost all feeling in his face. Mm -hmm. It's, he's just, that's just how he, how he is. That's why he's always been such a good inquisitor is by keeping that completely stoic face. Mm -hmm. But like you said, we've always been inside of his head. So while he's being so stoic, at least then I would fully know exactly what was going on. If this was really he's seeing ghosts, which obviously it's not, because not everybody there was dead, was actually right. dead, because he saw Harlan Nail there, and Nail's not dead. Mm -mm. But he thought Nail was dead. Right, which is why I'm thinking, it's like, is this all, like, this, it was the warp bringing out basically every bad thing he thinks of himself, and was bringing it up. That's kind of what I thought. Because at first I was like, oh, this is all really interesting. And it's when Nail shows up, all of a sudden my first thought was, oh my God, this is what Gregor thinks slash knows. Mm -hmm. So I think I was a little shocked that honestly, even though we've been inside of his head a lot inside of stories and books, I didn't think he had that much self-reflection because he's so far in denial with some things Okay. 
but then to see all of this, I was like, oh man, you're actually very much aware of how you seem and how you are. Maybe just to be an inquisitor, he's had to pack all that away. Like he just that can't, could be. He can't obsess over it. That could be for sure. But kind of, so one of the questions I had also posed was the timeline of this book is everywhere. It's like literally everywhere. Well, thank God for the little chronology in the back. Oh my okay. gosh. The table of contents is not, by, is not chronological. Well, it kind of is because it tells you, like, it tells you that Regia Culta takes place, then Xenos. Right. But there's, a but there's a chronology in the back that lists the year. Yes, it does have the years, and which so is good too. Because of that, I learned that that this the way that the book is laid out. Mm -hmm. Which one is it? I think it's the curiosity is out of place in the timeline. Yes. Because the curiosity takes place after Ravener Rogue and before right. Thorn Wishes Talon. Mm -hmm. And instead this one had Thorn Wishes Talon after the curiosity. And that may not seem that important, right. but when I kind of reread them, I was like, no, that actually is important. Right. Yeah, no, if it... The, the table of contents and the chronology were... Very helpful. In fact, there were a few times that I had to either go to the chronology or flip back to the table of contents because I was like, wait a minute, which, which book came first? Mm -hmm. And then I think the one, actually it was the Keeler image that in relation to the gardens of Tycho and uh, Perihelion. Right. Yeah. Needed, definitely needed to have a little bit of clarification there. Um because I found myself reading it thinking, when? And I think it is, it's really important too, because again, the Keeler image, it's very important to know that that happens just a few, I mean, like it happens 10 years before the Magos, but that asks a lot of, that, there's a lot of questions in there too. Well, yeah, I mean, I knew it took place after Hereticus. Right, obviously that, but just 10 years before this story. So he has massacred a whole bunch of the Inquisition right before this happens, more or less. I mean, relatively speaking, right? And it also means that maybe that really taxed him greatly because as he told Medea, he couldn't bring Cherubiel with him this time. Yep. Which seemed a little convenient. Well, I mean, but if you saw him, like he was greatly taxed the entire time. And mm -hmm. I'm sure some of that was, you know, from saying some of the unwords so they could get in to the uh, this fortress that's out of time and space. Mm -hmm. And um, not only that, but the uh, the loom. I think I say about Dan Abnett, the way he was writing this with the loom, I was getting a friggin headache. Yes. Because I almost felt like I could hear it myself. Mm -hmm. His descriptor words are very good and he did a really good job of creating this because i mean they describe it as it being this very oppressive presence right mm -hmm. that you can't escape from and just the way that he keeps reminding you of it but not like not like in a way where he's like oh it was really loud it was really loud did i mention this is really loud like there's so much noise right now 
it feels very natural because people are constantly like, oh, God, my head. I had the same reaction, too, where I was like, ugh, they need to leave. <laughs> like, like, they need to leave now. It kind of reminded me of that feeling that you get when you're on a plane and you're right above um, the engine. Or yes. too, too close to the bulwark in the back. <clears throat> it's just that constant hum that will give you a headache after a while. Yes, exactly. That's a really good, that's a good way of explaining it. Um, that's kind of how I imagined it. But like, take that to 11. Well, it yes. Was... Well, I mean, especially when, you know, they get Sark sark in it and he makes it go faster and faster yes so that's a good bridge over to the next question which was that because the loom is so the loom is such a big piece of this eisenhorn's always been a bigger picture kind of guy kind of as we said the omelets and eggs sort of philosophy has that changed and how does this make him different from other warhammer 40k characters i would say it definitely hasn't changed. No, it hasn't changed, but it doesn't make it different from other to 40K characters. That's hard because I think that they're all big picture people in their own way. Right. I think the part that was most telling for me is, so once Eisenhorn is, he's standing in that cage controlling the loom and he's, he's revving it up and he starts telling everybody psychically, he's like, this is wonderful. I'm going to be able to use this and we're going to be able to stop the arch enemy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to deal a major blow. And the Magos is like, wait a minute, this thing unmakes reality. You don't really understand what that means. Nobody does. And it could be lying to you, telling you that it's not going to be a big deal. So you could, you could essentially hurt the Imperium more by doing this one small victory, because you don't really know what, what this does. And Eisenhorn, oh, no, I totally know, I totally know, and it would be worth it anyways. Right. Yikes, you're, I mean, at this point, you're literally saying, I'm going to use a tool of chaos to unmake reality for the greater good. I don't even know if he really fully realized how he was going to unmake reality or not. He just saw, he found, he found a way to get to the king in yellow and kill mm -hmm. him. And that would be it. And then he just, I don't know if he figured he just could walk out of the loom after that and everything right. would just be hunky dory. So I don't really know how like serious he took it, but he tells Drusher afterwards, like you were right. Me staying in there would have been mm -hmm. worse. Right. Now, did I like it? He used the loom. He turned it against everybody in there who'd forced him to be able to work it. Yes, I thought that was wonderful that he brought those yes. skeletons back to life to go after uh, Gobleka. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. Which, by, by the way, um, I have a very, I have a big soft spot for the King in Yellow. It is, it's one of those things that I think if you were to go back in time and tell chambers that like this is going to be referenced for like the next several hundred years um well it's only been like a little over 100 but anyways like i think you would have been like really it's kind of uh it's kind of like the british lovecraft in some way that okay you know, so you must know who this king in yellow is so the king in yellow it's actually a series of short stories that was published in the late 1800s and i think it actually was referencing a play but the um, 
in this, it, there's this king in yellow, which is introduced as this supernatural, malevolent entity, okay. right? And it gets referenced a lot in surprising places. Actually, True Detective season one references the, the king in yellow too, which I think kind of brought it to the forefront. So now like once you say the king in yellow, some I find that I, I run into more people who are like, oh yeah, isn't that from True Detective? I'm kind of familiar with that now. So it's, it's kind of like Cthulhu in so much as it started in this one place and now like a lot of people reference it. So okay. when I saw it in here, you know how like when you watch Archer, all the little literary references they make that you really laugh about and it doesn't surprise you that they were English majors. Dan Amnett does a lot of little stuff like that, <laughs> which tells you that he has a very deep and abiding love and knowledge of literature. So when I saw The King in Yellow, I was like, Oh, you. Now, this is actually the first time I'd, I'd heard it. Well, because I, I didn't, really I mean, I didn't watch a true detective and. I actually, we had to read The King in Yellow in college. A professor of mine, it was like his favorite thing in the world. He was a major Anglophile. And so that was one of the things that we did. Um, but so that was how I knew that cultural touch point. But. I really like seeing it here. I think it fits wonderfully in the Warhammer 40k universe. The concept that there's this chaos entity out there waiting. It's like, oh, because I always joke about one of the things that I love about the Warhammer 40k universe is that everything is canon. Star Trek, canon. Firefly, canon. Nobody knows what happened before the long night. Um, so the idea that the king in yellow, canon. It all fits. <laughs> it's wonderful. Anyways. Um, but yeah, they don't, the fact, I think the thing that scared me the most is to your point, he was so obsessed with destroying this king in yellow. Nobody knows what the sloom does. Really. Right. Or what's going to, what's going to happen when he does kill the king in yellow. You know, don't you need to like, make sure, like, you got to see like how the, the house of cards is built before you just rip out the foundation. Yes. When all you want to do is remove the roof. Right, exactly. You know, so, uh, so yes. But again, you know, thanks to Drusher, you know, just basically just talking to him. It's like, I know I'm not, I know I'm not your friend, but you're my friend and I'm telling you, this is not good. What does he say? He says that it's going to unmake the fabric of reality. We don't know how that works. And he looks over at, I think, I don't remember who it was. He looks like, I think it was Voriat and was like, is that right? He's like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And well, and I think that makes him a little different because we see a lot of inquisitors who do very unsavory things. We actually see a lot of characters who do very unsavory things. And I would definitely say because in the Imperium, because they have so many people, Gulliman's the same way too, right? I mean, all the space Marines are the same thing where it's like, okay, you know, sure, we're going to kill a million people, but we'll save like 20 billion. So bigger picture kind of people but actually using a machine that is this isn't even like something that was corrupted this is straight up warcraft right something that they didn't think was even possible to be made you had to use a chaos language to get to it it's not even in a, this plane of reality it is 100 percent a chaos engine a demon engine at this point I mean, I guess once you've made friends with a demon, like... Didn't you like it how nice Trubail was to him? No. That was creepy. No, I didn't like it. 
and you know why. Oh, I know. It was just, yeah, that we'll was. Talk about that. Yeah, just. Yes, there was, uh, what is it? I think it's when he calls, he calls Cherubel down at one point, and Cherubel is just like cooing at him. He's just like, he's like, oh, my dear sweet Eisenhorn. Do you, yes, my, my, Gregor, do you need me to come and kill lots of people for you? Yes, I said with great reluctance. Oh, that was the Keeler image. I didn't quite hear that, Gregor. Yeah, I like that. I liked the fact, I liked the fact that he made him talk to him psychically. Mm-hmm. Yes, the fact that he's come to an accord with a demon. Well, but Eisenhorn even says, why are you being so nice to me? you're a heretic because you're like in the middle of this warp loom and turbale's like oh i'm gonna finally be freed like this is gonna be so cool i will kill so many people right well yes (laughs) all of that and that was actually another interesting thing i mean they do go down that rabbit hole of exploring the fact that you were always a heretic this was this was like predestined this wasn't like you got corrupted over the years. This You were right for this happening. But, you know, that was all going on when he got the uh, antigen. Mm-hmm. So is that him? That's his feelings about himself, all that self-doubt and all that coming up in him? Is that because what that is? or? Well, I mean, was it like you're, you're always your, your worst critic? That's true. I, this book made me realize something about myself, by the way. Previously, when I looked at like the Warhammer 40k universe, I was always like, I like the Adeptus Mechanicus. I would want to be part of the Adeptus Mechanicus. After reading this book, I think I would be Do you want to be like part robot? Yes. Ew. I'm always joking about wanting my bionic eye. But I discovered after reading this book, I would be a prime candidate for the Adeptus Sororitas. (laughs) Because I have a very hard nose to look at chaos. This is a heretic. I would full on be one of the bolter bitches setting him to flame and not feel guilty about it. See, and I would be Voriat. I would be Voriat, you know, heretic. spying on him. Heretic. To see, like, everywhere. like <laughs> see how bad of a heretic it is. He is. I guess because I'm not seeing the heresy. I can't see the heresy black and white. He's friends with a literal demon. I don't call them friends. It's more like he kind of caged him up and sicked him on inquisitors. They were uh-huh. the, they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Hey, they would have. Oh my god. Yeah, you know what. They that were like heresy to me. They were willing to kill everybody at that auction house to get to one person. He was willing to unmake a section of reality to kill one dude. That's right. And he re- and oh they, my God. thanks to Drusher, he didn't do it. And he was like, "Okay, that was bad. I shouldn't have done it. I do need to go see about Elizabeth's daughter." Right. Right. That's. Oh my goodness. So, okay, speaking of Elizabeth, the band more or less gets back together. Now, it's hard to say the band gets back together because really the Magos, the only person who's still with them is Harlan Nail. I have questions. But 
with all these stories, we get to relive all of these people, right? So um, who were you most happy to see? Who were you surprised not to see? Who were you wanting to show the door? Well, it's hard to say um, because like I haven't read the last two books of the Ravener trilogy. Right. So I have some questions about where some people are, but mm-hmm. I don't want to ask because I'm one of those weird people that, yes, I like to like to find things out on my own. Right. Um, so, of course, my first thing would be to wonder, like, well, why isn't Kara there? But I have a feeling if I read the rest of Ravener, I might find that out. Um, I guess... It's hard for me to say, like, who I wish was there because they're all dead. You know, um, his savant. I always liked his savant. Oh, I loved Amos. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. loved Amos. I, I always did like him. And um, I was so happy to see him at the beginning mm-hmm. when they're, uh, I can't remember. Oh, it's with the with the number story with Master Amos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amos just starts rattling off all this information. Right. Oh, I missed you, Amos. Oh God, I liked Amos so much. So, but you, you know, know. But, but he's dead. Um, you know, obviously Ravener's not with him. Um, so Nail was there. Fishig. So uh, Elizabeth's not there. Yeah, Elizabeth, obviously. But. So, although me, I was happy that one short story, yeah, the two of them what, were. What, that's actually my favorite short story, the back cloth for a coin. Um, oh, for, for an a, additional crown, for a crown additional. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. like such an amazing one. horror story. The reason, so I think we've had this conversation before, but one of my favorite horror games of all time was Fatal Frame Two, which deals with the camera obscura. Mm. So I have. I have a like I have certain themes and stuff that just I gravitate toward and cameras are one of them. So Batcloth has always, always been one of my favorite short stories. And not just in the Eisenhorn universe, just like in the Warhammer 40k universe in general. It's one of my favorites. Because it's it's a wonderful horror story and you get to the end and you're just like, ah, clever. Yeah. But so I read Eisenhorn like 12 years ago. And I remember getting to the end of Eisenhorn and being livid. But I couldn't remember why, because it's been a really long time. And then I read that short story. And then I remembered my favorite character in the uh, Eisenhorn trilogy was Godwin Fishig. Absolutely loved Fishig. (sighs) Justice for Fishig. I got to it and I was reading and I was reading in bed. And I got to that story and I got to fishing and I was like, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> my husband was like, oh, you remembered why you're angry, did you? <laughs> oh, justice for fishing. So it just shows like how what a horrible person I am, because honestly, what happened to fishing didn't really phase me very much. And I forgot all about it. And so he said something. I was like, I don't remember that at all. And I went and picked up like last. I think I went and I read was- like on the Wikipedia just looked up Fishig and was like, oh, yeah, I do kind of remember that. Yeah. And then it made me really sad because all of these scenes that are in here with Cherubel, I was like, oh, my God, this probably looks like some really awful, like, kind of like in um, how I picture him looking is, you remember in Dragon Age Inquisition when the mages would turn into abominations? Yeah, that's how, how I imagined were... it looking, too. Yeah, they're kind of half human, kind of half demon thing. 
with Fishig, my favorite character. <laughs> Have you ever seen drawings of Turbale as a demon host? No, actually, I haven't. Yeah, they're in the... Um, I don't remember if they're in the Lexicanum or if it's in the wiki, but they... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's not pretty. No, I would... You know, I would expect not. Mm -hmm. Right? But I had I think, pictures of my favorite character looking like one of the Dragon Age Inquisition abominations, and I was like, this is all just awful. It was very traumatizing. You know, and I think... Because, I guess, because I was kind of understanding where Eisenhorn was coming from through most of the trilogy. All right, just chill, okay? The way that I, th I think, I'm not for certain, but I think what was going through my head at that time, which just doesn't make it any better, but that Eisenhorn was, he was trying to save his own skin is what he was doing. Because Fishig was going to basically tell on him. Because Eisenhorn were asked him to he was like you got to keep me in check buddy and when i when fishing was like i'm trying to keep you in check then eisenhorn was like well not like for real <laughs> not for like for realsies yeah like, obviously i wasn't serious about and that. like just you know because i remember eisenhorn was trying to talk him out of it mm -hmm. and couldn't convince him and i guess it was one of those if you can't beat him join him or force them to join you so it was, to me, it was almost kind of like uh, you know, him just going, shh, 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 like that wonderful scene of Band and Brothers when he's sticking that knife into him, telling him to, to be yeah. quiet. Yes. Actually, yeah, so that's a really good analogy of it. Um, I was also really happy to see Patience. I always loved Patience. You know, the sad thing with the Ravener book is that uh, I didn't like it, and I kept getting her and Kara mixed up because... The characters bored me in Ravener. <laughs> I I don't like Kara Swole as a character. And one of the things that I don't like about her, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, is that she can't ever appear without Abnet mentioning how voluptuous she is. Like, that's her primary defining trait to him, is that... This voluptuous woman, this surprisingly voluptuous woman, it, it, he mentions it a lot. I, guess, I just never and, noticed it, I guess. Well, it really seems to be her primary defining trait. Like everybody else has these really cool things about them, like Harlan Nail. Yeah, the, he describes how big Harlan mm -hmm. Nail is a lot. But Harlan Nail always has, Harlan Nail is a very distinct character to him. Patience is a distinct character. Kara... A little bit in Ravener, she gets a little bit of more. She's a dancing assassin. Yeah, she wears yeah, uh, um, she an wears, ex circus performer. She assassin, right? She uh, wears skin tight clothing, or as they call the body gloves. Yeah, as I said, like her her physical being is really like her primary defining characteristic, which I'm always like, that's just kind of it feels so out of place with everything else because like Elizabeth, he mentions that he finds her attractive and that she's kind of sexy. But Elizabeth had so much more depth to her, right? All of right. his female characters do. Kara feels so oddly flat. I can't figure out what's going on there. Well, see, Patience always did to me, too, which is why I kept confusing them. It's like, I just see you two girls. Just I know one of y'all has telekinetic powers, and the other one's like this acrobatic chick with knives. But it just seems like you guys are almost the same person because you're still angry. Neither one of you likes to be touched. You get pissy really easily. Mm -hmm. um, I can't figure you two 
out. And it didn't help the fact that the whole time I'm reading the book, I'm going, why are you letting these people on your ship? Don't they scream shady fucks to you? Oh, no, they betrayed us. Whoever saw this coming? The answer is everybody. That's okay. That is one complaint about the Magos. I don't know if it's just because we're so used to genre tropes or if we knew that some, that nothing was going to go evenly. I felt like his new savant, as soon as they introduced her, I was like, oh, this woman's not on the level. And then when she betrayed them, I was like, oh, are we surprised? No. So, well, here's my thing about her. Um, I dropped my book. <laughs> so I lost my place mm-hmm. so I'm there grabbing my book and flipping trying to find it and I happened to open up to the page that where had dresser saying how long were you betraying us like, <gasps> oh like, no like oh well shit oh that sucks and like I knew I didn't like her but now looking back on that is it did I always not like her did I always suspect her or is it because I got this spoiled ahead of time and then expected it i mean she wasn't a nice person no but i attributed that to you know because i guess how smart she right was for being able to 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 read so many books and not only that i just thought it was so great that drusher just you know happened to remember something and was looking through this guy's journals this guy's uh biology journals and was all like oh wait hold on a second and which then i think it was voria turned to turned to her and was like and you didn't pick that up eisenhorn does because remember eisenhorn looks at her and he's like in a journal on paper well, i thought voria says something to her too i don't remember if he did but i remember eisenhorn's just like glaring at her the whole time which i think that i think that was the point where i was like mm-hmm, there's a traitor and um you know so Here's one question that I have. I don't know why Nail was with Eisenhorn. I was happy to see him again because I've always loved Harlan Nail. And for the hardcore Abnet fans. Um, he was there in the Keeler image. You're not one of them. Um, I'm just kidding. One of the big debates online, like one of the silly debates, is who would win in a fight, Harlan Nail or McVinner? And um, the answer is obviously Harlan Nail because he has character development and McVinner doesn't. Um Come at me. My husband and I have this debate regularly because he's Team McVenner. But I don't even know who that is. So it's one of the Gaunt's Ghost characters. Uh, I one of like, anyways. um, I really love Harlan Nail. So I'm so happy to see him in here. But I don't know why he was with Eisenhorn because Nail left Eisenhorn's service because he kind and he kind of says that in the Ravner books he's kind of like Eisenhorn's not in a good place right now so he's working with Ravner without spoiling anything he I understand why he's no longer in Ravner's employee but the fact that he went back to Eisenhorn it I mean it's like if you divorce your husband because he's abusive and then you get with this guy who's abusive so you go back to your abusive husband I think he's a glutton for punishment. Well, if you remember in uh, Thorn Wishes Talon, when uh, Nail and Kara both see him, they're like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. And they shake hands and hug. So, to uh, you know, 
I wasn't, even though I've read Ravener, I wasn't really sure why Harlan Nail left Eisenhorn. Well, I don't, I didn't like, I guess I felt like I missed the memo. When did Harlan and Kara leave Eisenhorn? And now they're with Ravener and we should just understand that. And they took Elizabeth with them. Okay. Um, okay, sure. I don't remember that happening in Hereticus. Well, the Ravener books set up that it definitely happens sometime after Hereticus, but before the Ravener books. So, and you have to remember that there's a big swath of time in there, right? And the right, way it's just found was that it just it just made me feel like did I miss some stories in right, there? Right, no, for sure. Like, like uh, did something happen? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you know most people seemed fine at the end of Hereticus. I mean, the end of Hereticus was not fine, but they seemed fine. Um. So I guess well, for me, it was not much of a surprise. But then again, I haven't read the last two Ravener books. And thanks to the Magos, I have so many questions now about what has happened to Ravener that I am now reading the second two Ravener books. Oh, good, good. Um, but that's not what you said when I first read Ravener. You're like, uh, oh, they're not good. <laughs> well, so there is a conversation that I really want to have about a specific character in this book. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to spoil anything or like possibly alert you or taint your opinion. Um, But there's a conversation to have about a specific character in here Uh, because something happens at the end of this book. It's actually when um, at the very end, when Eisenhorn smiles, it's, there's another character that something very similar happens with. Oh, and really? Okay. It ain't good. Okay. Well, no, when he, you know, cause when he smiled talking to, to Rubael, mm-hmm. and I figured cause it was all in his mind. You right. Know, right. I just kind of dismissed that. But then when he smiled to Drusher and Drusher said, I didn't know you could do that. And he's like, I haven't in a very long time. And Drusher's probably just thinking, oh, because he's been a dick most of his life. Right, right. He's always just been a big jerk. (laughs) I mean, that's true, but that's not why he's, you know, hasn't smiled in like 400 years. But um, yeah, that that right there, just like, I almost had the same reaction there that I did when I got to the end of Pet Cemetery when I read it when I was younger. Because like at the very end when it said, darling, it said, I about threw the book across the room. I was like, oh, yeah. get that away from me. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I love that cemetery. Yeah, I, that was creepy. And that was the point at which I was like, heretic, heretic. Actually, well, my husband and I at lunch today, we had a big debate about that. We talked so much about Warhammer 40K. It's stupid. Um, but I guess, yeah, the nail thing. I was really surprised to see nail with, I don't know if it was just, and because again, they never really cover it in the Ravener books, at least not that I remember. Maybe I just don't remember this conversation, but when asked about it, they're kind of like, oh, he's really not in a good place right now since he's on the run and stuff like that. And I actually got the impression that everybody had abandoned him. Medea's with him. Well, I got the impression at the end of Hereticus that no one abandoned Eisenhorn. He abandoned everybody. That could, yeah, that too. Because his former fiance was cool with him staying with her mm-hmm. and uh, to his credit he was like this isn't right because i still love right. elizabeth uh but i mean he just and he talks about the end of how he just disappeared 
So I was, and he talked about no one knows if he's dead or alive. And so I was like, well, maybe he did die at, at the end of it. Because I remember in reading Ravener, there were, <coughs> when Nail mentioned, because I think because when we went to go say hi to Elizabeth, and he mentioned, he was like, yes, it was back when we, when we were with, with Ravener. And someone's like, where is he now? He's just like, it's like, I don't know. We don't even know if he's dead. I'm like, yeah. It's like, okay. Um, like, I mean, he was like, you know, 400 years old. So it makes sense to me. I mean, yes, right. I know, but the rejuvenate treatments and being in the warp and blah, 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 blah. But still, that's, that's still old. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> I did like that when Medea, when, uh, Drusher's talking about how young she is, and she's like, I'm 260 years old, by the way. Right. BT dubs. Um, <laughs> no, I really liked. I, I love, again, I loved Neil. I was glad to see him. I just. It, it was a little weird to me, mm-hmm. which this is neither here nor there, but you did remind me. My favorite romance is Warhammer 40k romance because you have like Drusher and Max where it's this really cute. Oh my God. They're so adorable. <laughs> they're so adorable. <laughs> Which yes, it. I do have a very deep abiding girly side, even though I like my violent militaristic science fiction. But yes, I even said like after I read that first short story, I was like, if they don't end up together, I'm going to burn this book. <laughs> they were just so cute and adorable. And I like. Yeah, yeah. After you said that, and because it was right after, it was like the day after I started reading the the Magos, you know, and like the first like chapter is like he must be talking about the three years we were married, and like, oh, I know, Jen's gonna be so sad. (laughs) I love when uh, Voriat appears at the end, and uh, he's like, "Oh, Max told me where to find you," and Drescher's like, "She remembers how to get here." He's like. Those two are getting back together. I'm telling you now. Well, yeah, but when he was going through the money sack, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like you know, I could go buy a nice place in Tycho Gardens, and he's actually thinking about his future, like in a positive way. Yes, I loved it when he made some comment about he's like they're going to need an expert on blah 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 beetle. <laughs> so we're going to have a problem here. Oh yeah, in the next couple of years. Oh no, I just I loved it, and like. Abnett actually has several. Like, I loved the Elizabeth and Eisenhorn romance, which I think is why it ate it up so much when he sees her in here. Mm-hmm. And when she's like, did it, did it never occur to you why you fell in love with me? The one oh. person you can't touch. It really killed me. But when she's imploring him, like, please go do this. Oh my God. Oh my God. That just killed me. I, I love the Warhammer romance because it's always very understated. There's a great one in the Night Lords omnibus too. Yeah, that actually made me the saddest about what happened to Ravener. I was like, oh my god, his fiance died. It's like he has no skin or face. I'm like, but his fiance's dead. <laughs> well, because he was deeply in love with her. And yes. as as you read all of the Ravener books, he's still very that's that was a very defining moment for him and he still wrestles with it which i love that but well, i'd wrestle anyway. with being this like i don't know hunk of meat in a enclosed chair right but you know then you go on to write the most famous book in the entirety of the imperium the spheres of longing hmm. they um so the spheres of longing before he long before he wrote Ravener, when you're reading the um the Gaunt's ghost books, that's one of the things like to 
to mark that somebody's very educated. They'll be like, oh, I read The Spheres of Longing by Gideon Ravener. And then I can't remember what book it was. I think it might've been by Dembski Bowden. Somebody mentions, like somebody says something and somebody is like, yeah, I've also read The Spheres of Longing. So as soon as it made it outside of a Dan Abnett book, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I was say, like, because uh, Dan Abnett wrote uh, Gaunt's Ghost books, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Like all 16 of them. Um, it was kind of like when Uriel showed up in Guy Haley's book and you're, like, you're just like, oh, this is amazing. I love it. I love crossover stuff when people appear in other places. It just makes me, makes me giddy. But so the burning question, hmm. if you had to cast this book as a movie, I vote for Mark Strong as Eisenhorn. Well, he was already the voice of Eisenhorn in that terrible PC game, so we don't talk. We don't talk about that. So why not? And we already know he can look old and broken and weird and mean. He has a very mm-hmm. he has a very cruel. He has resting cruel face. Resting cruel face. Well, that's kind of what you need. Like it's not resting bitch face. It's like resting. I am gonna really mess you up right now. <laughs> you really see it in Shazam. Like a lot of times when he's just staring like oh or honestly just look at the cover of the eisenhorn omnibus that is resting cruel face oh yeah it's like i am mad and i'm going to fuck all of you up oh so no he here he kind of looks almost hopeful for the future (laughs) looks a little grizzled not at all he looks a little grizzled but 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 it's not as in the eisenhorn omnibus cover where it is just basically like, you would not believe what I have seen, and I'm going to fuck some shit up. <laughs> he looks t- very tired <laughs> on the Eisenhorn. That's true. I vote for Mark Strong for Eisenhorn. Okay, I'm fine with Mark Strong for, for Eisenhorn. That's as far as I got. Okay, so Harlan Nail. Oh, God. So we need a big um, guy. So I guess either The Rock or Vin Diesel. <laughs> Ben Diesel probably because the rock, the rock bless his heart he doesn't have that edge to him no he's too cute he, well he has that cuteness but he just has that and I think especially after seeing him in Jumanji he's just too much of kind of a teddy bear guy I can't really see him like even when he was a vi- <clears throat> about to learn a little bit about me back in the old days when he was a villain in WWE or WWF back then Back when he was even trying to be a villain, he was never very antagonistic. It was always, he was always just a little too personable for it. Vin Diesel, like if you watch like the Chronicles of Riddick, that's really how I picture Harlan well, Nail. Vin Diesel has resting bitch face. Yeah, he does. Like boss level. Yeah. Not as much as Michelle Rodriguez. I think she still is my like top <laughs> level. Um, I would love to cast her in a Warhammer 40k book. I really would, but I can't think of who I would put her as. Nobody in this book, I don't think. No, no, no. All right, it's so... Too rough for Max. What about... So we got Max and Drusher. Max and Drusher. Um, for Max, you need somebody who's tough and authoritarian, but also kind of playful. Because... She has a good sense of humor about her, mm-hmm. right? When she starts flirting with him almost immediately, <laughs> which is wonderful too, which is another reason I really liked her. Um, who though? 
don't know who really fits that bill. I don't remember the actress's name, but for some reason, the actress who was in SWAT. SWAT. Colin Farrell, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, I do remember that movie. Um, What is her name? I got it. Picture her damn face too. I I don't I don't re remember what what it was, but you know she was just this. But you know she had that light side to her. She could be funny and snarky, right? But at the same time, she was not afraid to fight back. Oh my God! What was her name? Really cute face. Yeah 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 yeah. Oh God! I have to go to IMDb for this now. <laughs> there was Michelle Rodriguez was in that, but then there was the other woman. And I can't think of her name right now. Because Michelle Rodriguez was the other main girl. And um, I adore her. <clears throat> I really do. Um, I don't know who I put as Max. And you also have to have somebody who's a little older. Well, actually, I guess at this point, Michelle Rodriguez probably is. I still picture her, like, from her early career. Um, oh, actually, do you know who I think would might work really well as her? She's not as old. But um, um, so it was Michelle Rodriguez is who I was thinking of. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I told you, I absolutely love that woman. Um, she's even a badass bitch in real life. Uh, there was a great story of her where she was arrested and she could either go to jail or do community service. So she went to jail because she didn't want to have to do community service. Dang. That's, that's hard. <laughs> that's yeah. hardcore. But actually, do you know who I could picture being Max is another, um, oh God, what is her name? She's really cute. She's really funny. Gina Rodriguez. She's another one I could picture is that because she can be really tough. I don't know if you saw a movie called Annihilation um, in that she's kind of tough and yeah, she's fun. Hmm. For a dresser, you need somebody who's very firm and serious, but also kind of not as brawny. And has a comical side, I would think. Right. Hmm. Hmm, indeed. I'm trying to think. Who is someone? I can't even think of anyone right now. How about Ralph Fine? <laughs> No, no, Red Fine has, has too much of a, has too much of an edge to him. Like, hmm. I don't think of him as English patient. I always think of him as, I hate to say it, I think of him as Voldemort. I think of him now as uh, Lego Alfred. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. <laughs> oh, man, if it was like 20 years ago, I would almost say... Um, Shoot, he also played Alfred in the um, Injustice League and Batman versus Superman. Oh, Jeremy, Irons. Jeremy Irons. Yeah, but like twenty years ago though. Yeah, yeah, but twenty years ago he was Die Hard Three. I mean, he's got a. Yeah, that's true. He does have an edge to him. Yes. Yeah, you want to talk about a person with an edge? Hmm. God, I don't even know. <laughs> Just go crazy and give him Woody Harrelson. Sure. Too you know, 
at this point, why not? But <laughs> the sad thing is Woody Harrelson has been in so many things, but all I can think of him in is Cheers. Yes. He's forever Woody. Yeah. Well, he's forever Woody, but so I think it just shows like that, that generation that we're of. So I think of him from Cheers. I think of him from the cinematic masterpiece, Natural Born Killers. And then now I think of him from Zombie Land. Like there's three fate, the three phases of Harrelson. Like goofy, what? And then goofy, but also not messing around. See, and I think of him from <laughs> Cheers, The People versus Larry Flint. Oh God, I forgot about that. Which the whole time I was going, this isn't right. <laughs> so many levels. And then Zombieland. Yes. Well, there's actually a movie on Netflix right now called Highwaymen. Um, Sean's watching that right now. It's actually, it's very good. He loves it's it. not like a, it's not like an amazing story. It's just basically trying to take the tarnish or take the shine off of Bonnie and Clyde because they were not good people. Who saw Woody Harrelson becoming like a serious, respectable actor? Literally nobody. That's who. Um, but all right. So what burning questions do we have for the sequel is a strong word, whatever book comes next. Cause I got a few. Well, I mean, technically the next book's already out. Yes. The pariah series. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, that's true. And from reading, um, I think it was the, was it the intro to this one? It had to have been where was it? it must've been where Dan Abnett said that, you know, he was talking about, how books to be written or like people hanging out on his couch. Right, right. And he talked about how the next two books in the pariah, he's like, they're there, they're waiting their turn. Right. So it didn't sound like this, you know, was going to be one of them. Right. I, yes. So the biggest question that I have is that he smiles at the end of the book and the very last line of the book is that when um, when Drusher is with the bird, which I think is just wonderful, he says, uh, the lamplight caught its dark and bottomless eyes. For a moment, they reflected a violet flash. It was almost exactly the same shade of violet that Drusher had seen in Eisenhorn's eyes when the Inquisitor had smiled at him for the first and last time. Mm -hmm. uh, he warp-touched. Now, my husband was very quick to point out that everybody on Cadia had violet eyes. That was because they lived right the by the eye of terror. Yeah. And um, while on one hand, yes, the Cadians were a hearty race of people. Um, <laughs> like, seriously, they were hard. Like, oh, well, yeah. Maybe slightly less hardcore than the Death Corps of Krieg or the Katachan. Anyways, doesn't matter. They're all up there in the top or upper, upper echelon. They're also all dead, except for a few. The planet broke before the guard did. That it, it, it is very, very true. But the guard did break. Not very adeptus sororitas of me, was it? So I just, uh, I just saw grinning Abaddon when he said that. <laughs> so, but he's definitely, I mean, that's, look, you don't get a well i guess i don't what would you call it i mean they had an actual name for it but it's basically condensed nurgle 
you don't get that put in you go on a walkabout in your mind try to use a demon agent engine come out suddenly healed and having the flash of the warp in your eyes and not be a little fundamentally changed maybe a little like well you can smile for starters right like and my husband was like oh it's just cured him it just cured him yeah i can think of something else that got cured. damn it no never mind anyways that's important to another book um but no i can yeah there's uh now the bird i wonder if the bird is an accident or did Eisenhorn touch the bird so the bird could watch the Magos? Right. That was, I didn't, I had the same thought. Because if you remember, the bird had no interest. In the beginning, the Magos actually talks about how he kept this bird thinking, like he had visions of this bird being his BFF. And like he would be the cool old professor guy with the bird. and But the bird being a raptor had no desire for this. But then suddenly at the end... It is all of those things. Mm -hmm. It follows him around and it eats from him and it perches on him. And it has the light of hellfire in its mind <laughs> and its eyes. I mean, but I also like the other question I have is, are we going to see the Magos again? Because okay, well, he's such a fun character. God, I hope so. Oh I my hope gosh. he does buy that amazing house in Tycho Gardens and flourishes yes. as a Magos. And then because he's like, I think the only thing that's keeping him and Max from getting back together is that she needs to make sure that he can be happy on his own. Yes. For sure. And I think he I think he has the steps now to do it. And I really I wanted him and Max to leave with Eisenhorn so I mean, it would have been a cheesy happy ending, but I wanted them to go with him so badly and be his next kill team because Max and the Magos and Voriat and Nail would have been just like a dream team. True. But I, I oh, actually, don't forget Medea. I like Medea, but I'm still angry at her because she should know better. Loyalty to Godwin. Anyways, no, I know. I like Medea too. But I. She's scary, I, people. She, but the. Um, what about you? I know you are. <laughs> I would actually like to see another Mago story before another Eisenhorn story. I, I agree. It. I'd even I be cool that's with, my a, question. with a Magos uh, novel, not just a short story. Uh-huh. Well, again, though, I mean, it's a third of this book. That's not. Honestly, like, the whole Magos could have been told from his point of view, and I would have been. I mean, not first person, but, like, you know, third person limited. Right. And I would have been I mean, just that's, fine. That's a decent-sized book. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't. One of my axe is shorter. Oh no, totally. I'm. What I'm saying is like I don't want just like more short stories. Like I'm cool. Oh, with I got having, you. I got having, you. Having like another novel. Yeah, another book. Yeah, make a sequel to the Magos. The Abnet. Because yeah, I. He was a fun character. Yeah, I, I mean, Mister Abnet, um, you canceled Titans, or DC made you cancel Titans, so you got time. <laughs> you can fit this into your schedule. <laughs> now who's a scary lady? I'm just, I'm not saying I'm unhappy that Titans ended because comics been a shit show for a while, but, you know, now you have some free time. <laughs> You're not doing anything else. That's right. <laughs> You've got oodles of time. Write another Magos book. Now, please. <laughs> well, you're not 
writing Gaunt's Ghosts. You know, you're... He just finished a book. Too soon, Carrie. He just finished one. Too soon. Okay. Oh, okay. You can't take it a break to write others before he goes back to Gaunt's Ghosts? He did that for several years. We... We had almost a George R. R. Martin-esque bridge between some of the books. But no, I, I kid. I, I just love my God's ghosts and I don't want to say goodbye to them. Um, yeah, no. I want another Mako's book. Mm-hmm. You can do it. It's fun. You know, I think one of the things that I liked about him the most, he didn't really have any, like, there was nothing really special about him other than the fact that he just had, like, a whole lot of knowledge. Right. But, like, he wasn't an amazing fighter. He wasn't a psyker. He wasn't like, oh, yes, I have much experience with this from this one time. He was a... He was winging it. Not an amazing fighter. (laughs) He He tried. He was the opposite of that. He tried. What I really liked about him, like, his helpfulness in this book was just, like, just his observing nature. Yes. You know, because then the whole time they'd be like what's the point to this? Like, why are you talking about this now? And he's just like, oh, I just find it fascinating. But, you know, this doesn't look mm-hmm. right. It's like the way this is growing, it shouldn't do this. And this one looks like much older and it's over here. I loved that when he was like, these trees mm-hmm. have a different sun. Right. It was, it was fun. It was a little Sherlock Holmesy, but I really liked it. I thought it was really You know, fun. maybe that's why I liked him so much with this. Because he... Especially in this book, he's very Sherlock Holmesy, but without yeah. the arrogant attitude. <laughs> yes, and with less Benedict Cumberbatch and less cocaine. Well, that too. Mm. But yeah, no, I thought I, I liked that about him. I I would totally that would be my biggest burning question: is Are we going to get another of the books? I mean, other than the fact of the hell is going on with Eisenhorn? Um, why is Nail with him? I just, I just want to know if Drusher and Max end up together. Please tell me yes. Like, I want... Somebody should get a happily ever after. Yes, somebody in this universe. <laughs> Actually, there is a, there's one romance that had a happily ever... Well, happily is a really strong word in the Warhammer 40k universe, but a happily ever after. I don't think they do happy. And I won't spoil what it was. But it does exist out there, because eventually you'll read that book. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah. They get a happy-ish ever after. That's Ish. good enough in Warhammer, right? Right. Pretty much. So, thank you for joining us on our trip through the Magos. Our next book that we're going to read is going to be Blood of Ajax by Robbie McNiven. This one is, we're going back to Primaris Space Marines, because everybody loves Space Marines, but more importantly, everybody loves orcs. I just, I'm just here for the Ultramarines. Well, that too. I mean, we're all here for the Ultramarines. No, that's literally why I bought it when I saw it at the Citadel uh, a few months ago. I was just basically, well, I was just basically buying like everything off the shelf and, and then, you know, Gabe, he knew which symbol to look for. Mm-hmm. So he grabbed this book and another short story book, which was actually really, really good. Uh, uh, Death Knell is what it was called. And um, so I was just like, well, this is interesting because I didn't. Re- I'm so glad I did not read it until and didn't start reading it until after a Dark Imperium. Because right. talking about the Primaris, I've been like, what is this? Like, this like what's a Primaris? Right. Right. 
No, I'm, I am really excited for this one. So we'll have a post up on the website for you to, per where you can purchase the mm -hmm. book and questions to go along with it and read along with us. Do you want to take us out, Carrie? Yeah, this is, uh, this is not a scary. Okay. That's true. It's actually rather funny in places because well they, it is funny in places as well but um i think we've agreed not to do another 700 page book for well for a I while that, but if you yeah i was gonna say i have like one like literally right here okay uh, but that's an omnibus that's different this wasn't exactly yes. an omnibus previously on eisenhorn is what this was um yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a little while before we tackle another seven hundred page book. But so a lot of people have like their terms of measurement, right? Where like especially in America, where we're just like, oh, it's like two football fields long, right? And people are like, oh, I understand that term of distance. Still shorter than it. Is it it or the stand? Both. Mm. It's technically the longer of the two, because it is like. 1173 and the stand unabridged is like 1140 or something like that and the unabridged of Les is still thicker but no one's read that except for like me and probably 10 other people <laughs> yeah no i hate i hated the abridged version of lemons so that wasn't gonna happen yeah. but um yeah so you know longer than a football still shorter than the stand yeah it was funny because when i was you know because we, we finished this fairly quickly i'm actually still i'm very impressed with myself and you we for did finish this, this quickly in two weeks all right yes so then when i, I was like well I, I want to figure out a book to read next so i was I already had this i was like i want to read this and i was like how long is it 300 pages please it's like an, uh, an appetizer <laughs> it's an appetizer or i guess it's the dessert to the meal yes anyways yes definitely we're going to be doing some shorties for a while. Uh, yeah. And we have plenty, plenty to do. And if we do do another 700 page book, it's because it's going to be because it's an omnibus and we're reading like certain books out of the omnibus. Yes. So anyway, enough babbling. So thank you all so much for, for coming back. Uh, the feedback for this podcast has been unbelievable. And Jen and I do this, or we have, we've been reading these books for years, obviously her much longer than me, but we're doing this because we love this so much and we talk about this all the time. So why not actually make a podcast about it? And the support has been incredible. So thank you all so very much. Uh, we do hope to keep doing, keep doing this. And we're actually, we're talking about maybe doing them more often than once a month, but we'll see how, how that goes. You know, we, uh, we have delusions of grandeur. Yes. Um, so we've been doing the first Friday, but maybe, maybe if we really, really get into this and if we keep doing little skinny books like this, it could even be every other Friday. It could be. We'll see. No yes. promises just yet, but, um, <laughs> no promises quite yet. So, but, um, we are on Twitter at WH40K book club. And I announced on Twitter that we are a fish. Shut up. We it's are so silly when you say it that way. I love it, but it's, I'm always like, WH40K. It sounds like what my mom would say. Well, I feel like say if I say, you know, it's like, you know, W, I mean, what are you oh, supposed no, to say? WH40K? I mean, I don't know. No, mm -mm, no WH40K is absolutely the right thing. It just. Yes, it, 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 that's why I actually had to like look up in my brain. I was like, how do you say this? Because um, I just can't say Warhammer 40K because it's not correct. No, it's um, not. But I announced on Twitter that we are 
officially syndicated in that we are on Apple Podcasts or iTunes Podcasts. They keep changing the name. I don't know, but we're there. And we're on Google Podcasts and we're on Stitcher. And of course, as always, the video cast of this is on YouTube. And you can always find just the audio if you prefer. Instead of going to YouTube or downloading from uh, other places, you can still get it directly from the website. Again, uh, like I said, the our Twitter account is WH40K Book Club. I am at Crunchy Chocobo. Jen is at Jen Bozier. And wow, I think that's pretty much it. Because, I mean, the YouTube channel is... Uh, you know what? I don't have that one memorized because we can't get a vanity plate yet. <laughs> But if you like and subscribe, we'll eventually be able to. <laughs> that is true. That's true. They've also changed the rules on us. Yes. So, okay. So with that, all right, we got to get back to reading. You all got to get back to reading. All of you. Yes. You got to get back to reading. And we will catch you, I guess, on the next side, other side of the warp. We to read from a crag. Do the double, do the sign of the Aquila. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody.